What is up, family? It's Dr. Dale, the author of How to Raise a Doctor, Pre-Med Mondays, Black Men and White Coats, and the Dr. Doc Children's series. Make sure you grab your copies on Amazon.com and leave your reviews. Don't forget about that part. And of course, you listen to the Black Men and White Coats podcast, a place where black clinicians have the platform to share their stories with people like you. Man, look, I'm just going to start this off by getting right at it. COVID-19. COVID-19. Everybody, you know, we're freaking out. We're concerned. We're scared. And here's what I have to say about that. We should have an appropriate level of responsibility, an appropriate level of preparedness, an appropriate level of heightened concern. We need all of those things, right? Um, but at the same time, don't freak out. We can't freak out. Things are going to happen. This is part of life. You know, people are going to get sick. Some people are going to die. And I know it's, it's either easier said than experienced because I don't want to die. I don't want anybody that I know, you know, to die. But at the same time, this is part of life. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a man of faith. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in, in God. That's just me, who I am. I'm not telling you you have to do that, but that's who I am, right? And at the end of the day, that gives me comfort. That gives me peace. That lets me know who who's running the show here, okay? end of the day, somebody's running this show. This world did not make itself. I don't care what anybody says. This world did not make itself. end of the day, somebody is running this show and somebody's in charge of all of this. So there's a greater... Um, you know, greater purpose of all this, all this life stuff. And it's crazy at times. I know I might sound psycho to some of you guys right now, but this is just where I'm coming from, what I believe in. You know, end of the day, I keep my faith and I just, I just trust in God and just know that it's all gonna, it's all gonna work out one way or another. I mean, goodness gracious, nobody wants to die from this, right? I don't want to die. I don't want anybody I know to die, but man, I don't know what to say. We just can't panic. We just can't freak out. Those of us in healthcare, we've been trained for trained to take care of illness. That's what we do. I'm an ICU doctor. Specifically, you know, I'm the guy who when these people start going going um down the spiral and getting respiratory failure end up on ventilators, that's me. I'm the guy. I'm the lung and ICU doctor, right? So even though I am concerned about it, I see what's going on in other countries, I'm doing my best not to freak out about it. I'm doing my my best to go back to the basics. I coach, you know, I coach my kids' basketball teams. And when things are starting to look sloppy and you're missing a lot of shots, you're making silly mistakes when you're getting tired and such. I would say, hey, go back to the basics, fundamentals, go back to the basics. And that's the same thing that we need to do right now. Okay, We got to go back to the basics, taking care of patients, remember the things that work, the things that make us efficient. And just, just remember that we've been trained, we've been prepared for this and keep that mindset. Now, but everybody still got to do what you got to do. Make sure you're washing your hands. If you're sick, stay at home. Social distancing is a real thing. We need to be doing it right. So I've had my kids around spring break still this week. We've been cooped up in the household. So we go outside and we play in open areas, throw football, kick a ball, shoot some hoops. We do all that stuff, but we're not going into communal areas with other people, okay? Social distancing is a real thing. The whole idea there is not necessarily to stop the virus, but the idea is to flatten the curve. It's to slow down the spread. So a whole lot of people don't get the virus all at once, all come into the healthcare system, and the healthcare system can't handle it. The idea is to slow it down so, you know, more than likely, the number of people who get this disease it's probably going to be the same no matter how fast it happens, but we want to slow it down. That way, as you're coming into the healthcare system, we have the resources to take care of them so we can get them back out of the hospital safely and alive. That's what it is. So don't, don't be flipping about this. Here's another thing I'm going to say before we get into this podcast. There are these rumors going around that black people can't get COVID, right? Not true. 
I don't know where that came from. Don't believe that. It's not true. Okay. Black people can get this virus the same that everybody else can get this virus. Okay. So those are some things to be aware of. Now, let me flip off this COVID talk. You've seen enough of that on the news, man. Let's get into some black men and white coats podcasts and type of stuff. Okay. And before I hop into this, let me remind you guys, if you're a pre-medical student, you've got to get on premedmondays.com www.premedmondays.com you've got to register we have a great session every week monday nights i'm on these calls dr daniel's on these calls the med students will be on these calls and we're talking to you guys you're actually video chats so we're teaching you guys we're talking to you guys we're teaching you guys how to excel as pre-medical students how to be phenomenal excellent pre-medical students and we're giving you guys gold stuff that you're not going to get other places okay we're giving you guys gold we're teaching directly from my pre-med mondays book and on top of that we're throwing in all these other leadership things to help you just become uh an individual who has a growth mindset an individual who wants to be excellent we throw all that stuff in there for you guys every monday night if you're not on premedmondays.com make sure you get on the register you should be doing this okay other thing is if you need a mentor go to diversemedicine.com we've got mentors on there diversemedicine.com register get yourself a mentor okay these are the things that you do in life to be successful you surround yourself with people who are doing great things you get mentors you do all these things that's what's worked for me along my journey that's what i help other people do right now so premedmondays.com diversemedicine.com all right let's hop into this episode man this one's a little bit different right so you know one of the things we're doing with black men and white coast is we're taking it beyond just your your black male physicians now okay we want to make sure you guys get exposure because now what we know you know we do these black men and white coat summits and we get feedback from different people and we know that a lot more people listen to this and people sometimes want to hear something about a different field within healthcare okay it's all going to always be healthcare we're keeping it healthcare but people sometimes want us to throw in something else a little bit something different here's what we're doing today we got a veterinarian right and this is a great episode i'm trying to tell you guys right this is Dr. Demetrius Washington, phenomenal episode here. Um, if, and you know, the thing about things like veterinary medicine is they really overlap, a lot of the stuff overlaps. So the stuff he talks about overlaps with things that I went through in medicine and healthcare. But in his case, it's really interesting because you talk about being one of the few, he is really, really, really one of the few people in this field, okay? And I'm talking about, I forgot the number he said, but it's like less than 10 of them. So he goes through that and he talks about how he's able to deal with that and overcome. And I just love his outlook. So positive, so upbeat, and so inspirational and motivational to all of you listening to this podcast, okay? Great stuff in here. Whether or not you want to be a veterinarian, you've got to listen to the things that he's saying because these things are essential for success. It's a, a mindset to have and knowing, hey, how do I thrive even when I'm one of the few? Dr. Demetrius Washington. Check it out. My name is uh, Dr. Demetrius Washington Sr. Um, I am currently a veterinary ophthalmology, comparative ophthalmology resident at North Carolina State University. Um, I received my bachelor's degree in biology from Bard College, my master's degree from 
Prairie View A&M University, uh, my doctorate of veterinary medicine, my DVM from Tuskegee University, um, and then I did a small animal rotating internship here at State, NC State, and they uh, continued to stay on as a, a resident here um, in comparative ophthalmology. Um, and Dr. Dell, you know, thank you for having me here and thank you for what you do in this black men in white coats um, platform is just a you know it's a great platform and you guys are doing some phenomenal things and a hundred thousand percent support what you guys have going on and this is this is big this is bigger than than you and I and I, and I think you know the more people the more african-american males in the medical field that we get surrounded this um, the bigger that it that is gonna go and so again thank you so much for uh, for allowing me to share my my story and and um, I hope you guys enjoy uh, this journey so a little background information I was raised in a single parent household so I'm the oldest of three boys um, and was raised by my mom um, a beautiful queen um, and I think this is where my you know my desire and my drive for uh, becoming a veterinarian um, came into play um, you know we always had pets in my home and we always had dogs and we were just a very loving and caring family um, but unfortunately when when those dogs were had got sick and, and needed some you know uh, veterinarian care you know we we couldn't properly care for them the way that we needed to and so you know finances were, were a bit tight honestly at that time and, and so you know my mother had to choose between you know um, you know, feeding three boys and, and paying the bills on her own or, or you know, you know, a thousand dollar veterinary bill for a, a really sick pet. And so, um, you know, I think that's that's where my drive for actually, you know, caring for animals and being understanding of, of you know, what goes into caring for animals in the long run. And also, you know, this the the the, you know, the opposite side of that, too, is where you have family members who, you know, actually love these pets. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, are able to to maintain uh, financially how to care for them. And so, you know, there is, is where my drive of, um, you know, speaking for those who basically can't speak for themselves. And so I, 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 at a very young age, I realized that I wanted to be a veterinarian and I also aspire to open up my own affordable or low-cost clinic uh, and provide local community community education um, on owning a pet, on caring for a pet and, and the lifetime the lifespan of these pets and so I, I think that's from from very very on at least that's where the drive from wanting to become a veterinarian um, came from so my family dynamics and you know just those experiences of not being able to you know to at least uh, uh, provide um, the care for for these pets even though we really loved them and we really cared for them but you know life is life so I you know I have the drive and the desire to want to become a veterinarian, but I didn't really know, you know, what I needed to do. I didn't, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know who to talk to. Um, and I, you know, I had to discover my own identity. Um, and I had to discover my own pathway. And at times it was hard for me to, to navigate through that because you, you know, when you're the first to do some things, whether it's in your family or in your community or, or just something that people just don't really understand or able to grasp around, you know, you have to set your own path and you have to, you know, knock some doors down that won't necessarily open or you have to go through some, you know, some bumps in the road or some adversity to where, you know, other people didn't really have to go through that. And I think, um, you know, the first thing that I, that I really remember is that I had to figure out who I was first and I had to discover my own identity. And what I mean by this is when you are, when you are a young African American male, 
you know, growing up in a single parent household and you don't have much influence in terms of male influence or mentorship, you have to discover who it is that you are. You're still trying to, you know, blossom into your own identity. But not only that, but when you're heavily in the sciences, which I were, and heavily into these um, these satellite programs, so the gifted and talented programs, um, you know, a lot of times you're the only one there in that. And by I say what I mean by you're the only one, I mean, a lot of times I was, you know, the only African-American male in my class. And that's all the way up from middle school, all the way up through high school and colleges. When you're in the sciences, the, the representation or being able to identify with somebody else, unfortunately, um, isn't as, as high as it as it should be. And so when you're the only one and you have things that you want to talk about or you have things that you want to get off your chest or you just want to see somebody doing what you've what you want to do and they've already succeeded and you don't see that that can be a setback and that can also be a burden to carry and so i think being able to identify um what i wanted and how to get there at all costs no matter what um was was pivotal um, and, and at times I was confused about my identity. At times I was confused about, um, you know, confused about, you know, whether the sciences were something that I really wanted to do and, and wanted to continue to do because, you know, all, all I see are, are people doing other things. And, and there's nothing wrong with doing other things, meaning meaning anything else other than wanting to become a doctor, wanting to become a veterinarian. And I think that the stigma in the African-American community, at least, is that if you're going to be a man and if you're going to be a provider for your family or just in general, you need to be a strong man. You need to be a financial provider. And sometimes that means going out and getting a job that's going to pay you the bills. Sometimes that means whatever job you need to do to that's going to provide a roof over your family's head or over your head. And and, you know, that can be discouraging when you have someone who you know, wants to grind it out, who wants to set a precedent, who wants to open doors. Um, and, and, you know, every avenue that you look in terms of searching for mentorship, if you ask somebody for advice and they're like, well, you know, this has never been done before. They throw statistics at you like, you know, a certain, you know, we've never seen this done before or it's pretty much impossible. You know, that can be discouraging and that can be, um, you know, disappointing. But the biggest thing I think in terms of my story, what separates me from anyone else who, who may have wanted to consider going down the same path that I have or who tried it and, and, and didn't succeed for whatever reason is the biggest thing between me and them is that I didn't quit. I didn't quit. I didn't take no for an answer. Um, and I knew what my vision was and I trusted my vision. And I thank God that I had a clear vision and it was clear in my head and it was possible. And so I just didn't quit and I didn't take no for an answer. And I trusted in what I could do, what my hard work would do, what my work ethic would, was going to do. And so that's, I think that's why I'm where I am now is because I just, I just didn't quit and I didn't accept anything. And it can be challenging when you have a vision that's so clear, so laid out. And people don't understand that, you know, people may not be capable of understanding the long run or the step process or the strategy that goes into it. And when people don't understand your vision, they can't get behind it or they can't even communicate to you in a positive manner of what that vision means. And so what you have to do is when people set boundaries on your vision because they don't understand it or they're not capable of understanding or they never achieve what they wanted to achieve, you can't let that seep in and deter you from getting to where you need to get to. And so I've across I've come across many people who well, you know, the veterinary ophthalmology field, you know, you're gonna have to do an internship. 
then you're going to have to do a specialty internship and then you might be eligible just to get some interviews for a residency or well you know there's not a lot of African Americans who are diplomats in that field all the way together which is true I think currently you know off the top of my head maybe there I think there's seven or eight currently diplomats so those are people who've gone through the residency whose passports are now practicing veterinary ophthalmologists and I you know that's that's a solid number and I'm very appreciative of those who came before me but that number should and will increase dramatically in my opinion so being that there are less than 10 in the entire veterinary ophthalmology field there's a lot of people who believe that well it's not possible or it can't be done because they've never seen it done and I think that's where visibility comes into play and I think that that's that's why you know I agree and I stand by what you know black men and white culture are doing I think it's important for these young black boys these young african-american boys to see successful men in a white coat in a professional field who have succeeded who have doctors in front of their names and who are well respectable men. and I think visibility is probably one of the most important things that as a young boy growing up I didn't understand the process and I didn't know where to look but if somebody or someone was visible to me and someone was you know uh, obtainable in terms of outreach or mentorship or, or conferences or, or whatever you know I would have felt better I would have felt more confident confident about my my process about you know uh, my pathway and at least just know that you know well I'm not sure if I'm gonna get there I'm confident that I'm gonna get there I have a vision that I'm gonna get there but if someone else has done it before me, and if someone else has succeeded before me, and I can see that, then okay, cool, I'm feeling way more confident about where I am, about what I'm doing. But again, the unfortunate thing is when you don't have representation, if you don't have someone who is visible, somebody who's out there doing outreach in the community, someone providing mentorship, somebody providing positive feedback um, from the early ages all the way up into high school and the shadowing programs and undergraduate degrees as well, too, then you create this legacy. You create this chain line or this pipeline of successful african-american doctors in whatever field it is whether it's human medicine whether it's veterinary um, medicine if it's specialist or, or general practitioner it, it doesn't matter so let me just share with you a couple of my stories and i you know i people listening to this are probably like man there's no way like there's absolutely no way you experienced this or you went through this and i you know i promise to everyone that's listening right now like these stories are true and authentic and they're not exaggerated and I have people who can vouch for me who have either witnessed it alongside with me or just have uh, I've immediately discussed these things with them as soon as after it happened so the first test of adversity I, I, I went to um, this small liberal arts college upstate New York and um, you know I'm one of the first in my family to go to, to college and to get a, a graduate level degree um, so anyway, we're moving into my room. I go to this place to try and check in and get my keys. And they're like, well, you got to go to the Bursar and financial aid office. Um, something's not right with the setup. So I'm like, okay, cool. So me and my mom, we go up there and we get to the financial aid office. And they're like, well, you know, you guys still have a balance. Um, the financial aid isn't all the way clear. Um, and this balance has to be paid before you can move into your room. Now, mind you, this is like the day before. Um, and so I come from a when I say a lower socioeconomic family, that is probably the nicest way to put it. You know, I was on government assistance as a child for lunch. 
um, and, you know, all that good stuff. And so my mom has worked hard to get all three of her boys to where they are right now, successful men in all three different places. And we don't have money just like that. So when for someone to tell us that we need X amount of money today, we basically need you to write a check or hand this money over. That can be devastating. And so I've for sure thought that, well, you know, I'm not going to be able to go to school here. This is up like we're just going to have to go back home. And when I tell you my mom sat and she talked to this lady and I'll never forget this lady. And she's such a beautiful soul as well, too. But they talked and they had a discussion and my mom worked out. A payment program with this lady to pay the financial aid office with checks my mom wrote a check for five hundred dollars and I know there was not five hundred dollars in our bank account that day and my mom figured out some way to where five hundred dollars would be cleared in our bank account by the time these people cash the check so that way I can go to school and my mom believed in my vision and she believed that this is what I was gonna do and she didn't she didn't see where I am now, but at the moment in undergrad trying to get to where I wanted to get, she believed in me. And all you need is just one person, one person to be in your corner, one person to fight life with you, one person to help you overcome these adversities, one person to listen on the phone with you when you're venting or when you're going through a tough time, because those times are going to come. But if somebody believes in you and somebody supports you, then you're invincible. Yeah, so another instance I can vividly remember was uh, this guy who was the dean of another college within my, my, my university. He was not the dean of biology, but he was another dean. And so at my undergrad, they had this program. It's called the moderation program. Long story short, it's basically where you have to fill out some paperwork and you have to, you know, have a committee and you basically have to talk to them and explain to them why you want to moderate or be accepted into that college. So meaning the biology program. So this guy was not on my committee and had no affiliation, but he felt the need that he had to sit in on my moderation and actually interject. Um, and so he um, did not believe that I should be able to go into the biology. And so obviously, as you know, everyone's who are medical doctors, you know, you need biology, you need those prerequisites in order to get into medical school or to veterinary school. So what his philosophy was is that in his opinion and based upon his his research that he told me that it was statistically impossible at that time for an African-American male to be successful in the sciences. And so what he was doing is he was looking out for me to make sure that he didn't allow me to fail in life. And it was statistically impossible for me to be successful. And so, you know, and even thinking about it that moment right now, I was floored and I was devastated because I felt like someone else had control of my destiny and my vision and my future in which I vowed that I would never let anybody else control my destiny um and so after much debate after much uh appealing and after some other you know additional things that i had to go through which no one else had to go through i was allowed to moderate and i was allowed to be accepted into the college of biology but to be told to your face and the audacity to be told by that and you know someone who is in a, a superior administrative position and say something to you like that and has technically the power to not allow this to happen is outrageous. And it's just a form of adversity that I went through in my life. But 
you can plug in anybody else's story, anybody else's challenge there towards something that seems so insurmountable and something that is where you have no control over it. You think you don't because someone has put physical limitations or put their scale of understanding on what you're capable of doing. And, and at that very moment, I felt and I knew that my vision was dangerous. And I felt and I knew that what I had to do and what I was going to do was something that not a lot of people wanted me to do. And it made people uncomfortable. But this is the very moment where I realized that I need to do this for myself, for my children, for my legacy, and for someone else coming behind me that may have to experience something else or something similar to this. And so that way they know that, well, hey, listen, Dr. Washington did it or it's been done before. And it doesn't have to be in veterinary ophthalmology. It doesn't have to be in medical school. It doesn't have to be, you can be a dentist, it, whatever it is, the visibility and having someone there and seeing someone succeed is the big picture. Okay, last story. Last story is my journey to getting into vet school. So I um, I had to go back. I was in um, undergrad. I was playing basketball until like, you know, my grades were, they weren't bad, but they weren't like, you know, good. Um, and so I went back to Prairie View University to get my master's degree. And while I was doing my master's degree, I ended up retaking some prerequisites. So that way I felt like, you know, my application was more competitive. Um, and so I applied to vet school two years and got denied two times. So two cycles I got denied. Um, and you know, that, that can be frustrating. That can be daunting. And, and then you have people asking, you know, well, what's your backup plan or, or what else are you going to do? Um, and you know, are you sure this is something that you want to do? You know, why don't you just go, you know, get a, a decent job and, and work? Um, so I decided to apply another cycle again. And, and, um, being from Texas, there was a really big, uh, a good school down there in, in Texas that I, that I wanted to go to a veterinary school. And so ideally that was my top choice, just being close to family, um, and whatnot. And so I applied to there and I also applied to Tuskegee A&M University. And so I ended up not being, um, accepted, waitlisted basically to the tech, to the, um, the school in Texas. Um, and I received a phone call from, uh, one of my mentors there and he was like, you know, this year is just a really competitive class and you just barely, you know, missed the cut. And I think that if you apply again next year, you will have a great chance on getting a seat in this class. Um, a couple of days after that, I received my acceptance letter from Tuskegee. And so I finally got into Tuskegee and I was excited. I was working as a veterinary technician at the time. And I, you know, I told everybody, of course, we, we had a big celebration, um, and then, uh, funny story is me and my, myself and my wife now, but she was my girlfriend at the time. Um, we had, uh, we were pregnant. So, uh, not me, obviously, but she was pregnant. So, you know, we had to make some big decisions in terms of going all the way to Alabama from Houston, Texas, um, and being, you know, having, uh, the child. So, um, we elected to defer a year. And so I had got accepted into vet school, but we ended up deferring a, a year. And so, uh, basically my, my journey to get into vet school, let alone was about a three, four year process. And so, um, that, that's just another example of if, if you want something and if you are, are truly, uh, you know, that's something that you want to do, then you have to go for it and, and, and stay resilient at it at, at all costs. And, and there's going to be, adversity there's going to be obstacles there's going to be 
um, you know, letdowns and disappointments, but you just have to, you have to get, you have to get back up and you have to, you know, finish, finish the race basically. So I get through vet school and I graduate and I realize I want to, you know, I want to specialize in, in veterinary ophthalmology and that that's my purpose. And so, you know, now what, now, now, now what do I do? And so now I'm at this point to where the biggest challenge that I'm facing is there are not a lot of African-American male veterinary ophthalmologists. There are not a lot of African-American veterinary ophthalmologists as it is. What I do know is that in veterinary medicine alone, there's less than 5% of African-American veterinarians. And so when you go into a specialized field, that number decreases even further. What I do know is that they there are currently seven African-American veterinary ophthalmologists ophthalmologists, certified ophthalmologists in the veterinary field, seven of them. Out of those seven, one of those is a male. So there you're telling me that I potentially may be the second ever veterinary ophthalmologist that's African-American male? Okay, that's a burden to carry. Maybe that's why this whole process has been so complicated. So many obstacles, so much adversity. But you know what? If they did it, then I can do it too. And then once I do it, I'm sure there's someone else that's going to be behind me saying, well, if they did it, then I can do it as well too. And I'm happy to provide any sort of mentorship, any sort of advice, any sort of communication to anybody that is interested in coming and joining this field. There is more than enough room for everyone here. It's not going to be easy to get here, but it is not impossible. Yeah, it's challenging when you're trying to set a precedent. It is challenging. But once that door is open, and not just a little bit, but once it's busted wide open and everybody can come through, then everything that I went through, all the challenges, all the sacrifices, everything I went through is worth it, more than worth it. So for anyone who is considering veterinary medicine, who's considering specializing, who's listening to this and was like, man, I want to do it, but I don't know what to do. If if I had any advice, I would tell you to find a great mentor. Find you someone that's going to challenge you daily. Someone that will take stock into your future, invest into your future, and hold you accountable. I would also tell you to commit to the grind. You got to get your community service hours up. Get you some shadowing. Make sure your grades are on point. Be present. Be visible. Be active. And lastly, just have a clear vision. Have it so clear that if anyone questioned you from A to Z, you'd be clear. You'd know what to say, when to say, and how to say it. Whether that's research, whether that's specializing, whether that's teaching, whether it's in the veterinary field, whether it's in the medical field. Make sure your vision is clear. My goal, my goal is just to have work-life balance. My goal is to have the ultimate fulfillment, both in my profession and at home. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm proud of the task that I've been chosen to carry, and I want to make sure that my legacy lives on in my in my children. But I also want to make sure that I'm able to provide financial st- stability, generational wealth, and break these generational curses. And I think that's going to come. I know it's going to come. But I just want to make sure that if there's anybody out there that is questioning themselves or questioning their purpose or questioning if it's even possible, if I can do it, and overcome everything that I've overcome, then I'm absolutely sure that you can do it as well. Powerful, powerful words to end on. If he can do it, guys, you can do it. I'm telling you, 
He said it himself. If he can do it, you can do it. Thank you so much, Dr. Demetrius Washington. You brought a much needed and a unique perspective to this Black Men and White Coats podcast, one which we have not had as of yet. And I truly appreciate everything you've gone through, how you overcame all that adversity. Really appreciate it. And I'm going to highlight one thing you said really quick here. One thing, because a lot of people, we shy away from this. It's taboo within healthcare, right? Towards the end, he mentioned he wants to build generational wealth. Build generational wealth. That's so important because in medicine specifically, I know they try to tell us, oh, it shouldn't be about money. Don't think about money. Well, I'm going to tell you, no, that's ridiculous. Money's a part of life. And here's why it's ridiculous because, you know, right now we're in the middle of filming our Black Men and White Coats, Rise Up, the Story of Black Men and White Coats, our feature length documentary for Black Men and White Coats, talking about the lack of black men in the field of medicine. We've been filming for months. We're still filming. We're putting it together. We're going to bring you guys a phenomenal documentary, okay? One thing that's repeatedly coming up is people are talking about how lack of finances is a major barrier to get into the field of medicine. So if we know lack of finances is a major barrier to get into the field of medicine, why do we shy away from talking about wealth? Why do we shy away from talking about making money to these individuals? We're saying, hey, guys, we can't get in because we don't have the money. But nobody wants to talk about how do you get the money? How do you grow the money? Right. This is important. You should not go into the field of medicine because you want to be rich. Absolutely not. But money is a consideration. Money does matter, right? So if we know that's a barrier, why aren't we talking about ways that we can build this generational wealth so we can go back and remove that barrier and make sure it's not an obstacle for our kids or for our kids' kids? So thank you, Dr. Demetrius Washington, for pointing that out. Every time, it's, I feel like it's so rare that you hear people within healthcare talking about things like that on a public platform. So thank you for mentioning that, okay? All right, before I hop off, I want to remind all the pre-medical students, premedmondays.com, premedmondays.com. Make sure you go on there. Uh, make sure you hop on. We have great video chats every Monday night. We're teaching you guys gold, some of the best stuff you're going to get, right? Uh, we're teaching you not just how to be excellent pre-medical students, but how to excel as leaders, all these little leadership tricks and things that otherwise is very difficult to come across or you're going to have to pay tons and tons of money to get. And I know because, you know, I paid the money to get it myself, which is how I know a lot of it. And I'm a certified John Maxwell um, coach, right? So I paid all the money and done all that stuff to be a coach so I can teach you guys this stuff and got the certifications and all that through on the John Maxwell team, okay? So make sure you're on this, premedmondays.com. If you need a mentor, diversemedicine.com. Get your mentor on there, right? To be successful, you want to have great coaching, right? I've had coaching for years, so I'm trying to tell you it works. You want to have great coaching and you want to have mentors. These things matter. Wrap it up with the COVID again, you know, finishing where we started. Do what you're supposed to do, guys. You know, wash your hands a lot. Use proper hand hygiene with the sanitizers, okay? Um, don't be sneezing on people. These communal areas, social distancing is real. We're talking about saving lives. So, you know, do what you can. Do your part. I'm going to try my best to do my part. And for everybody out there, and specifically everybody within the healthcare field, just know that I'm praying for you guys, all right? Love you.